In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hello, and welcome to this episode of 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. This is Beth Laurie, and I'm sure glad to be with you today as I welcome our very special guest, Mr. Greg Ogden. Greg, we are glad to have you with us. Uh, We look forward to talking to you today. How are you? I'm well, Beth. Thank you so much for the invitation, and uh, looking forward to sharing this time with you as well. Yes, and so uh, for our listeners, uh, Greg, as many of you know, um, is the author of Discipleship Essentials, one of our foundational books that we use here at Mount Pisgah in leading our discipleship groups. And uh, he is also coming to be with us um, on August the 22nd through Zoom. We will have our annual 419 Disciple Makers Conference, and Greg is our guest speaker, him and his partner, um, who is ministry with him, Ralph Rittenhouse. And so we're super excited. And so, uh, Greg, we would just first love for you to tell us a little bit about you so our listeners can get to know you better. Well, I give you a little thumbnail, I guess, of my own professional background, and I'm going to get into my own personal story here in a moment. So I'll leave that for later. But uh, in terms of professional ministry, I was uh, in ministry as a pastor and educator uh, for 38 years, uh, mostly in pastoral ministry. But five of those years, I was the director of the Doctor of Ministry program at Fuller Seminary. So I had a little parenthesis in my life, stepping out of pastoral ministry during that time. Uh, but of course, the whole issue of intentional disciple making in a relational environment uh, has been at the heart of my ministry throughout uh, that entire time. So my last pastoral ministry was in Chicago, and uh, we uh, was there for 10 years. Uh, I was executive pastor of discipleship uh, at that church and a fairly large church there and seeing that disciple-making network grow and develop. And then I retired in March of 2012, or as I like to say, redeployed. Um, and so uh, that's kind of a military term, even though I've never been in the military. And I, now I get to just do the stuff that I love to do, and that is uh, encourage other people in terms of disciple-making and teaching, and then, of course, practicing it myself. You can't teach other people things that you're not doing yourself. So uh, always involved in my own uh, disciple-making process. I, I hear that. I hear that passion in your voice, that that the the fun work is actually being uh, with those people that you are um, encouraging cool. and walking with as they become disciples of Jesus Christ. And I myself have had the pleasure of seeing you at the National Disciple Maker uh, Forum, a discipleship forum, uh, the one in Tennessee you've done several right. years in a row, right? Right, uh, exactly. Uh-huh. You've been there. And so that's always been a pleasure to see you. Um, and so, yes, uh, you. Um, we would love to hear a little bit about your faith journey uh, how you became a disciple maker. I mean, you have uh, a story from leading a church, but this became your passion. So tell us more about that. Well, as most things, passions are born out of personal experience, right? And so uh, what becomes important to you uh, can either be what you did not get and what you did get. And that was certainly the way I would frame my own story. I grew up in a home that was, I would call nominally Christian. Um, I'm a cutting edge baby boomer by age. And uh, certainly in the 1950s, when I was growing up, kind of the American thing to do was go to church. And I think my family sort of fit that bill. Uh, And the church was kind of the 
place where you kind of offloaded um, the raising your children in terms of the faith. And so my parents really did not have much hands-on in terms of that. But as I was going into my seventh grade year, probably 11, 12 years old at that point in time, I had a lot of fears in my life, maybe as a lot of younger, insecure kids do. And uh, even though we were not that involved in church, I responded to an invitation to go to a weekend church retreat. And so I was off uh, for this weekend retreat. And at that time, I I heard the message of the gospel uh, in a way that I could understand and really spoke to my heart. Uh, I can't remember who it was that was speaking that weekend, but I remember what he said at the end. Uh, He quoted Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and where Jesus made this invitation, Mm -hmm. come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. (laughs) And I remember that word rest just kind of reverberated in my spirit. (laughs) Uh, The invitation came, if you want to receive Christ in your life, get out of your seat, go across the street, meet with a counselor. And I, I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of yanked me out of that chair and uh, pulled me across the street. And uh, I uh, responded to the invitations to come to Christ and had this overwhelming experience of the love of God. That evening in my cabin, uh, the camp counselor asked if anything had happened to any of us. And I kind of timidly said something uh, to the effect that I had made a commitment to Christ. And he handed me a decision card. I filled that card out, handed it back to him. All I could remember from that weekend was they said, if you have become a Christian this weekend, uh, read your Bible. And I thought, oh, I better go find one. I'm <laughs> not sure where, where the Bible is. I uh, got back home, opened it up to the center of the Bible, the, the Psalms, as I called them in those days, uh, the Psalms, and read a few of those. Didn't make a whole lot of sense uh, to me as a young kid. Didn't know what to do with it, how to integrate it in my life. But the negative experience was that the church had absolutely no plan to follow up. I don't know what happened to that decision card or in whose file it finally landed. They were probably just counting the number of decisions that were made uh, that weekend. And so they could broadcast that to to the church. So not knowing what to do. And as an insecure seventh grader, I wasn't going to walk up to an adult and say, now what? Um, (laughs) So I just drifted for the next number of years. I had a turning point between my junior and senior years of high school when I was on a trip around the United States for six weeks with about 70 other high school kids. And lo and behold, there was a subset of those kids, about four or five Christian kids that were getting together on a daily basis almost, having what they called devotions. Uh, (laughs) It sounds quaint at this point. Uh, But they included me as a part of that, brought me in. I got back from that summer, folded me into the high school youth group for for my senior year in high school. And that kind of got me going. Uh, I remember thinking, gee, they must have figured out what to do with their experience of coming to Christ, and I hadn't. And so they folded me into this very wonderful, loving Christian community of high school kids that actually took their faith seriously, but in a very joyful way. And so got going on my faith there. As I was going into my uh, sophomore year of college, I got a phone call that uh, was going to change my life. Uh, On the other end of the line was Don. Don was uh, a seminary student running our junior high ministry. He had started this outreach program called Campus Club, and he was inviting some of us college students to come help him. <laughs> they had about 130 students bouncing off the walls on Wednesday nights and, uh, you know, come and help me um, with these kids. So I said, yeah, I'm glad to do that. And so every Wednesday I would start showing up and lo and behold, what, what did I get? I got a group of seventh grade boys uh, that I was <laughs> to be investing in. Uh, I'm not sure if I saw the irony of that at that point but I certainly did in retrospect. 
So every week I'd meet with them. I was told by Don, get out, get with these kids, um, meet them after school, go to their homes, get to know their families. And I did. <coughs> I did exactly that. And then um, Don would call up periodically and say, hey, how about getting together? And so we'd do some one-on-one stuff. Uh, sometimes it was playing tennis. I was playing competitive tennis at that time, so enjoyed beating Don in a tennis match. And then we would sit down on the bench uh, right next to the tennis court, and he would pull out his New Testament, remember this so vividly, uh, read me a passage of Scripture that was speaking to his life, tell me why it was speaking to his life, what it was that was it was communicating. And oftentimes it was things that he even knew he needed to change in his life to become more conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. But as I like to say, uh, there was a transaction that took place as I sat next to him on that bench. And the transaction was, if Don wants to follow Jesus, so do I. I like what I see in this man's life. And I think that was my early imprint of what discipling must be. Uh, Again, probably did not reflect on that immediately at that time in terms of the one-on-one relationship there and Don's intentionality of spending time with me, uh, knowing that if you're going to have an impact upon people's lives, you have to get close to them. You have to spend time with them, invest in, in their lives. And so that, at least for a period of time, became kind of the imprint. Okay, discipling, uh, one-on-one relationship. (laughs) Uh, I certainly later had that confirmed because I think the Navigator Ministry, at least at that time, uh, was kind of the model of how you do discipling. And uh, that was a one-to-one relationship. Uh, As I did that for a number of years, uh, then uh, I was frustrated with that that experience in actuality and uh, had... uh, not seeing the kind of uh, growth in the people I was investing in so that they could be empowered to disciple others. Enjoy the one-to-run relationships. We got into all kinds of things in terms of what it meant to follow Jesus, but it was not a model that I saw reproduced. So you want to talk about where we go from here, (laughs) we can do that. Yeah, well, I just, well, first of all, I just want to say, you know, giving praise to God. I love that when you were, you said you were in seventh grade and you didn't know what to do next, like in time, God really unpacked that for you. He really knew where to put you to, to have those experiences. And then he gave you such a natural and organic way uh, to be discipled. Uh, Just someone pouring into you, like you were saying, it just, how beautiful that is. Um, And when you look back on that now, uh, does it make you see how how natural and easy it is, or does it like? Did you think? Do you think that maybe uh, there was there was things that that was happening that you weren't even aware of as far as the Holy Spirit doing stuff and and how big that was? Well, I, I'm I'm sure the latter is the case you know, <laughs> in terms of the, uh, what was going on there. I mean, a lot of you, what I'm sharing here is sort of in retrospect what I saw happening. Uh, but I probably did not, was not aware of it necessarily at the time. Uh, what, how sort of Don's relationship with me became a model for uh, the way Jesus made disciples. You know, he, he obviously had to invest in a few. And we have the model for disciple making right there in scripture in front of us, but oftentimes we don't pay attention uh, to what is right in front of us. And so, uh, yeah, I'm sure there was lots of things happening, you know, uh, love for scripture, you know, that uh, in terms of central to that. Um, I, after, to carry on that story a little bit, uh, after Don graduated from seminary at the end of my sophomore year uh, in college, the church came to me and asked me to be on the summer staff of the church for the next couple of summers to lead the junior high ministry. And here I was just completing my sophomore year in college, 
And as I look back at that, I say, gee, I'm sure glad they never gave me a Bible exam (laughs) 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 as qualification for leading the junior high ministry because my my biblical knowledge at that point was uh, slim at best. And, uh, and it was, it was only then, uh, after probably meeting with Don that I started developing habits of daily time in the word, you know, and, and getting to know, I can remember even as a, as a junior in college, uh, making a connection. Oh, I was reading through Romans and then I read through Galatians and I thought, Oh my gosh, a lot of the themes that are in Romans are in Galatians. <laughs> I'm making connections here. It was just a, a, a discovery uh, for me, but I saw that modeled in Don, you know, in terms of his hunger uh, for the word. And that certainly got passed on to me as well. Yeah. And to place you with the seventh grade, you know, boys again, here you were already given back. Like you said, you didn't have all the equipping, but you had someone who was modeling it for you and God was with you. And so you said yes. And not only was he doing things within uh, those boys, I'm sure they have their own stories, but then he was also doing some amazing work within you. So that's Absolutely. just a, a beautiful story. Thank you so yeah. much for... You gave for, the foundation for a vocational call, actually, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> which um, which we would love to hear a little bit about. You know, there's a lot of, of, of people who get being um, the seeking God, but the moving to leadership piece is sometimes a, a barrier. So tell us how that passion for disciple-making sort of happened for you. Like you sort of narrowed in your calling, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I think there were probably two themes broadly going on in my life and ministry at the time where I started having insight. Uh, one became the foundation for, for the other. Um, so early on, I had this passion for all of God's people called to ministry. And I noticed early on that there was sort of this bifurcation within the context of the church. Uh, we have a professional clergy ministry, and then we have a second-class lay ministry. And, uh, and as I got to know Scripture and saw what the New Testament was all about, no, all of God's people are called to ministry. And the, those who are on pastoral staffs should be equipping the saints for their work of ministry. And so that was my early work, was really a passion about that. My, my very first book that I wrote uh, was called, at the time, The New Reformation, Returning the Ministry to the People of God. That was way back in 1990. And, but that grew out of a, a theme. But that's a foundational theme for well, all God's people called the ministry, that should be the culture of the church. Well, how do we help people really identify themselves as ministers? Well, there's a, even a deeper identification, that is identify themselves as followers of Jesus in all that we do. And so um, that, whole, that theme became the more dominant theme as I developed in my own ministry and understanding that uh, understanding ourselves as disciples uh, 24-7 uh, is what the call is. Out of that comes the fact that we are ministers, have gifts and offered to God. And so that became uh, the kind of the dominant theme in my life. Wow, that's, that's neat. So the, God gave, really gave you that passion for then building up leaders and, and helping people see that. I, I love that. Um, another thing that, about you is that you're a writer. You have published several books. I would just love, because um, I think some of our listeners will immediately know Discipleship Essentials, but you have some other books too. So maybe tell us a little bit about your your books and maybe what would be the differences if they were looking for, uh, you know, which book to go to, which, what would be the differences between yeah. them? Well, Beth, maybe it'd be helpful to even tell a little bit of the story behind writing Discipleship Essentials. Okay. We'd love to hear that. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's kind of a, I've had a, a few, uh, very few 
epiphanies in my life. Uh, but this was one of them in terms of behind Discipleship Essentials. Actually, there are two things that kind of came together, frankly, way back in the mid-1980s. You know, tells you how ancient I am. Um, the, uh, I, the first thing had to do with uh, the context for making disciples, which uh, at that time I called triads, um, triads and quads. Uh, we now call them microgroups. Um, that language has evolved over time. But uh, I was, I'd written a very early version of what later became Discipleship Essentials. I was completing my doctor minister degree. I was doing a ministry project and uh, my advisor said, well, why don't you experiment using this material in different contexts? So I, one, of, one of them was one-on-one. That's what I've been used to doing. Another one was a group of 10. And then, uh, then she said, oh, well, why don't you try a group of three? And, uh, okay. Well, it didn't take me long with that group of three to see the value of that dynamic. So I uh, formed this group of three, uh, had this early version of Discipleship Essentials uh, that uh, was, was there. And just the, the dynamic, the energy, the, the passion that came out of those groups uh, I just noticed the energy level so different than what I had experienced in the one-to-one relationship. Um, but the way the Discipleship Essentials came about was that I was out jogging one day, <laughs> going around a high school track, as I was often doing. And I don't think I was consciously thinking about discipling or even my frustrations with the lack of reproduction and discipling. But all of a sudden, as I was running around the track, it felt like this arrow came out of the sky and went flashed right through my body. And I instantaneously saw the format of Discipleship Essentials. And what you have in the format today is pretty much what I saw uh, where I was not consciously thinking about it one moment and then all of a sudden, boom, there was this picture in my mind of these four parts of this discipleship material. And I remember going home that day and saying to my wife, as we were anticipating going on vacation, I've got to write this book. Got to write this book. Uh, we're going on vacation. Give me the mornings. I got to have eight to eight o'clock in the morning to noon. You can have me after that, but I've got to get started on this project. So there was this sense of call uh, to do that. Now, what you have today in terms of discipleship essentials and what I was using back in those days are, you know, very different. But anyhow, that was the inception of that particular book. Um, And that's amazing. So you had not thought about writing a book before. It just like it was like the Lord gave you a vision of, hey, this would be what you need to do this work. That's amazing. Yeah, part of it was. Part of it was coming out of the fact that I, when I was meeting with people one-on-one, I was cobbling a lot of stuff together. You know, it was like, okay, a little snippet here, theology, let's read basic Christianity. Oh, we better study something on quiet time. Boom, let's do that. Uh, we need to apply our faith to our home life. Let's talk about that. You know, so was, as I like to say, I was just making it up as I went uh, because I didn't have any plan. Uh, in mind. And I think the curriculum then became, okay, let's put together a plan uh, for what needs to be accomplished in this setting. Wow. That's just a great story. I love that, that he gave that to you and that we, it gets to bless all of us today. Um, and so that was your first book. And then from there? Second book uh, was the book that I referenced earlier, The New Reformation, uh, Returning the Ministry of the People of God. You can find that under the title now, Unfinished Business, okay. Returning the Ministry of the People of God. And that was the the story of, uh, I, I contrasted what I call the dependency model ministry with the equipping model ministry. And so often we have the dependency upon our professionals uh, versus the professionals equipping us for our, <clears throat> our ministry. But it took me 270 pages to say it. Um, 
<laughs> That's all right. Yeah. It sounds like an important topic. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, my book, Transforming Discipleship, Making Disciples a Few at the Time, really works very hand in glove with Discipleship Essentials. Uh, it is the, the need uh, behind disciple making today, uh, how uh, we have a gap between certainly what our ideal is in terms of and where people are in terms of their own uh, followership of Christ and it being equipped to disciple others. And then I look at Jesus and Paul's way that they went about making disciples. And then the last section of that book is about, okay, how do we translate that uh, very relational process that both Jesus and Paul amplify uh, for us into a practical strategy within the life of the church. Uh, so that's what the last section of the book is all about. Oh, that's that sounds really great. Is that the one that you're sharing a bit from uh, when you speak to us on August the 22nd? Yeah, I think a lot of our content will come out of that book. And uh, so if you want to go deeper uh, into what we will be able to share on the 22nd, that's that's a good reference point. Yeah. So for for the listeners, uh, we have this up on our website. You can register for the conference, um, uh, but we also have the link there to purchase the book. We would really love it if you would go ahead and purchase the book and uh, read over it because I think it will make your time um, listening to Greg even richer. Um, but uh, we're sure excited about him and Ralph coming to speak with us. Um, so I also wanted to open it up for you today. You're such a wealth of knowledge, so much information on um, discipleship. And maybe there's something that you're not covering with us on the August the 22nd, but the Lord just has laid upon your heart, maybe some a nugget, a teaching, uh, something you think that our, our uh, disciple-making leaders should know. Well, maybe the one of the ways to dramatize the need for intentional uh, disciple-making, as I described it, is... Uh, I oftentimes teach on uh, the topic, can you be a Christian without being a disciple? Uh, and that title in itself may be provocative in terms of, hmm, is there a difference between being a Christian and a disciple? Uh, what difference have, have we made? And I think um, we have made a distinction. Uh, I call it the, the, uh, the kind of the hidden element in most, most churches, the, 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 the purple elephant over there, the elephant in the room, you know. Uh, don't think about that purple elephant. Uh, the elephant in the room is that we've made a dis distinction between being a Christian and being a disciple. We've essentially said to people, you can accept Jesus as your, as your Savior, get your eternal life ticket punched, and you're good to go. Because um, we've reduced the gospel uh, to what um, you know, Dallas Willard calls barcode Christianity. Uh, you know, if you can get that barcode across your chest <laughs> that Gosh. says, okay, I'm in, uh, I've, I've confessed Christ as my savior. I want to be with him when I die. Uh, we can get rung up by the great scanner in the sky, but there is no um, discipleship in that uh, version of the gospel. And, and yet that's the kind of version of the gospel we have been proclaiming for, for a long time. Uh, and I contrast that with Jesus version of the gospel. And in Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15, he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And uh, so Jesus obviously is when he's saying the time has come is uh, you've been waiting a long time for the Messiah to come. I'm here. Um, I've arrived uh, and I'm come preaching the kingdom of God. That's the central theme of Jesus ministry. And yet uh, we have very few sermons on the kingdom of God. What, is, what does the kingdom of God represent? Well, a new reign and authority has come upon earth in the person of Jesus. And he's establishing a, a come alongside kingdom 
And when we come to Christ, we're changing kingdoms. We're changing authorities in our life and coming into his kingdom of love and grace uh, and uh, adopting that as a lifestyle uh, for us. And so how do you get into the kingdom? Via repentance, repent, turn away, uh, make a 180 degree turn, change your thinking. Uh, and so the radical call to a new kind of lifestyle is at the heart of, of Jesus' gospel. But we don't actually see that at the heart of the gospel that we tend to proclaim today. We, yes, we need to acknowledge our sin. We need to ask Jesus for forgiveness. That's a part of the gospel uh, that we have. And, but it's usually not a part of the, the gospel that says, change your life, uh, go in a, a new direction. And uh, so I, one of the things I have had the opportunity to be involved in in recent years is prison ministry. Uh, so when I retired shortly thereafter, I got involved in going to local prison for about the last seven years or so. And uh, I, I say to the guys there, I come here because I see Jesus in you. Uh, I see the radical repentance that has taken place, the change of lifestyle. Um, one of the guys that I got to know was David. David was a skinhead, a white supremacist, and uh, now a follower of Jesus who loves all stripes of people. <laughs> and, uh, but across his knuckles was written the word H-A-T-E, hate. And he had swastikas on his body. And he, say, he would say to me, you know, I wish I could remove these tattoos from my body because they so represent my old life, not my new life. But then he says, and so in other ways, I'm glad I still have them because it reminds me of what I've saved from. And uh, so it's that kind of radical change that uh, I think is illustrated in somebody like, like David. Uh, and then, of course, believe the good news. Uh, welcome into the kingdom. Welcome into the, the kingdom of love and grace. You are my beloved. You are my beloved child and whom I'm well pleased. So there's, there's a more radical message of Jesus that is not, that, it, that, that leads to discipleship directly uh, versus the kind of gospel that we've, we've been pro proclaiming. So this unbiblical distinction that you can be a Christian without being a disciple uh, is one of the issues at the heart of the need for intentional disciple making today. Wow. That's such a key point because it, it, all the good stuff. I mean, the really the the abundant life, the enjoying uh, the presence of, of God, being able to live within his will and his purpose and his plans. All of that comes through the discipleship piece. And if we just if we just sell it as, hey, you got the stamp, you're good enough, then they miss out on the really important things. I I, I think that's right. It's a short sell and it's an important message that um, the church has uh, the 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 global church the you know has a lot to do we 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 need to make sure that message is clear to all of those yeah, who are absolutely. coming yeah. uh, wow well well that's that's in, enticing and I um I am so excited about um, learning from you just spending the day um, hearing you and Ralph uh, lead us um, on August the twenty second so we are just um, inspired and and we just thank you for this time. Um, that we've had together. Do you have any uh, last minute encouragement for our um, our listeners out there? Anything you want to depart with? A blessing or anything? Oh, let's see here. Um, well, I, I was the phrase that was running through my mind right at the end of what you were saying there earlier was, uh, "He loses his life for my sake; shall find it." Mm. And uh, there's that carrot at the end. <laughs> you know, you will find life when you lose your life for Christ's sake. Uh, and, but if you hold on to your life, Jesus says you will lose it. And so discipleship is really about finding life, right? To um, and enjoying the life that 
Christ calls us into. So it's not, we should not think of discipleship as sort of some drudgery that we have to march through that is kind of a negative experience. No, we, we actually find the presence of Christ in our life and the companionship and joy on that journey that uh, we set off on and that risky faith that we enter into and say, Lord, lead my life where you want me to go. And when I look back over my own life, you know, I would never have mapped out what has happened <laughs> in my life. Uh, and I'm glad that I have not been in charge of it uh, because of that. Amen. He does. Yeah. He uh, His maps are way better than ours. Um, but thank you. So for those uh, listening today, if you want to find your life, uh, if you have not been discipled, if you are desiring to have someone uh, like uh, Greg has talked about today walk with you and teach you and show you this uh, this beautiful life with Christ, um, please reach out to us um, at disciplelife at mountpisca.org. Go to our website, which is 419 School of Disciple Makers. Um, also, uh, register for August the 22nd on our website um, and uh, come join us as we learn uh, from Greg and Ralph on that day. And for all those discipling leaders out there, this is going to be your day of inspiration and encouragement. So um, buy the book, uh, read the book, come join us, and it will just be a blessing uh, as we gather in the name of Jesus to learn more about discipleship, disciple-making, and the wonderful kingdom of God. So, um, Greg, thank you. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for sharing with us. Uh, may God bless you and Ralph and this wonderful ministry that you're doing. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you, Beth. Appreciate it. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org.